Well, good morning, Thrive Church. He is risen. Amen? Amen. It's good to have you guys with us today. Uh, I am just, I love not only Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, for a lot of reasons, but for one reason is this. We get to celebrate with millions upon millions of other believers around the world with this one historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Think about right now, millions, right, are celebrating, and we're all coming together to lift up the name of Jesus. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 26 this morning. Matthew chapter 26 will be in verse 39. So my wife and I, when we you know, got married, we did the, five, the, the four love languages, I think it is. Maybe there's five. There's four love languages. Uh, there's a fifth one. That's where I've been failing on. Uh, but what I found out for me was that it was the acts of service that was my love language. So the way I show love to my wife is I just, I do things. I, I clean the dishes. I, I do laundry. I just, you know, I, I do those things. But here's what I found out. I'm getting some guys in trouble. Don't worry, you'll get more trouble time I get done with this one. Here's what I found out. If I can find what she hates to do and do that to show her love, that's one of the major ways to do it. So one of the things I do, I just find all the things she hates to do. And it's little things. Like she hates making her coffee in the morning. It's her iced coffee. I make it for her. It's there. And um, she hates buckling our son into the car seat. That's always a chore. I just make sure I do it for her. And so over and over, I find the things like she does not like unloading the dishwasher. She doesn't mind loading it. She hates unloading it. And so what I do is I just trade places and say, I'll just trade places for all the things that you hate. Well, on Easter Sunday, I'm not here talking about marriage but I do want to talk about the greatest trade-off that ever happened. That was Jesus trading places for us. And he did that with a cup. And I want to talk to you about how he did that with a special cup today. Well, Matthew's gospel, which will be in, is very unique. For Matthew was a complete sleazeball. Like before he started following Jesus, when I say sleazeball, he was that. He was a Jew but what he did, he worked for the Roman Empire. Rome ruled the world in the first century. So what the Roman Empire would do is that they would give high taxes to Israel, to all the Jews, to be able to build, you know, an economic kind of uh, force there. And so Matthew worked for the Roman Empire, and what he did was he extorted and conned his own people out of money. So they hated the guys who did that. Matter of fact, the Jews really hated Rome. So much so, the hometown that Jesus was from— right? It's called Nazareth. Well, the nickname for Nazareth, like, you know, like we have kind of Virginias for lovers, it was garbage city. And the reason is this, when Rome would come through in their caravans through Nazareth, all the people there would throw trash in the streets. They're like, walk through that, Rome. That's what we think of you. And Matthew worked for them. But Matthew ended up giving his life to Jesus, following Jesus, becoming one of the first apostles to follow Jesus. And he was an eyewitness to all the things that happened. And so he writes his eyewitness account of what happened in Matthew chapter 26. Now, each writer writes, you know, kind of their perspective of it and what happened that night. Because the key thing that happened was not just that Jesus was betrayed, but Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed to his heavenly Father, and he prayed all night. We have snippets of the prayer in each one of these, you know, gospels of what he prayed. Now, here's what I think. You'll see in a second, Jesus rebukes them for not being able to stay awake. I think they woke up and heard different parts of it, and that's what they recorded, right? Or they got really strategic, and they were like, hey, hey, like, you stay awake, the rest of us 11 will sleep, and then we'll take turns doing it throughout, because Jesus prayed the whole night. 
but whatever the case was, we have snippets of this prayer. And I want you to look at what Matthew heard and what he records about Jesus' last prayers that we know of before he goes to be crucified. Matthew 26, verse 39 says this. He went on a little farther and bowed to his face to the ground, praying, My father, and this is powerful, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, if it is possible. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned uh, to the disciples and found them asleep. I told you, see? My theory holds strong. Uh, he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. It's very important to try to find out what did Jesus mean about this cup? What did he mean by that? He spoke many times in his ministry about a cup. One of the first times we hear about this cup is when he's talking about the kingdom. And then James and John, the, the, the sons of Zebedee, their mom comes to Jesus, right? They sent their mama to him because they, they were still pretty young. And she says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can my son sit on your right hand and your left? She's trying to get her boys some, you know, some employment opportunities post, you know, all this here. Because they thought Jesus would be a physical king to take down the Roman Empire. He would rule Israel that way. And then Jesus says something to them. He says, all right, boys, here's the deal. If you can drink of the cup that I'm going to drink from, be my guest. Bring it on. Of course, they couldn't. And then in John 18, John records that night. John was there of whenever Jesus was betrayed. He records that Peter cuts off the high priest's ear that come with the soldiers. Like Peter just, I mean, he gets all Rambo and just boom, slices the ear off. Jesus puts it back on, heals it, you know, does some cosmetic surgery really quickly uh, for the guy. And then he says this, shall I not drink from the cup that my father's given me? And see, the cup was something that Jews understood, that they knew about this from the Torah. Because in the Old Testament, you see that God talks about a cup. Whenever Israel sinned and they were disobedient and they were, you know, doing their own thing and wicked, God says, I have my cup of wrath to be poured out upon you to judge your wickedness and disobedience. And then to find out how this cup plays into the end of humanity and what's going to happen as you look at the book of Revelation, here's what you see. That it, the scriptures say that the cup of wrath will be poured out upon mankind at judgment. And so the cup that Jesus is referring to is not just some metaphorical spiritual language, but the cup that he refers to is the cup of wrath because that was the purpose in which he came. And many of us don't understand that if you don't get this here and understand the cup of wrath, then you will not get the message of the resurrection of Jesus and you will not understand his true purpose. See, here's the truth. God has to pour out his wrath upon mankind. Here's why. God is just and God is holy. I mean, our, God is completely holy. It's hard for us to grasp that, but he cannot look upon sin. He cannot have sin in his presence. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all of humanity was under the curse of sin. But not only that, not only born into sin, 
but we, are, we, we all are sinners. Like, think about this. Some people will tell you in modern pop culture that we're just good people getting better. They've never had children. <laughs> if children are born, and you look at them when they're first born, oh, they're so sweet. But you, know, you, you don't have to teach your kids disobedience, do you? It's like, okay, little Bobby, we're going to teach you how to lie today. Because obviously, you, you know, you, you just tell the truth. Okay, today we're going to teach you how to not share because you just share everything, right? All right, we're going to teach you how to not be disrespectful. Like, that just comes naturally to kids. And we have to teach them the opposite because why? We're born into sin. We're sinners. And so God is holy. He can't look upon sin. But God is also just, meaning that He is the just judge. And let me encourage you, we have many injustices that happen in the world. As we just saw from Maggie Turner with Illuminate Justice, human sex trafficking happens all the time around the world. And there are people that seem like they're getting away with it. God will judge them. He is just, and none of that will ever be overlooked. Why? God cannot overlook sin. He's just. So here's the deal. We have to pay. But why do we have to pay, Kevin? Can't just God not, not let that happen? He's just. He can't. So let me give you this illustration. Imagine I slashed your tires. And you're saying, well, I'll be benevolent and overlook the slashing of my tires. It's okay. It, I, that's fine if you do that. But let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, after I slash your tires, are you driving away at that point? No. Why? Because your tires are all slashed. What has to happen for your tires? Somebody has to pay for tires so you can drive, right? The same thing is true with sin. There's a debt that had to be paid. God cannot overlook that. So what happens? When the great last judgment comes, wrath will be poured out upon every individual because we will all stand in front of the Creator. Welcome to Thrive Church. You get to hear about wrath today on Easter Sunday, right? It gets better. It gets better, though. But you have to understand this first before we can get to what, what I want to share with you. Because on the cross, Jesus experienced the full wrath of God. The full, unfiltered wrath of God. Think about it. He took that cup for us. And that's why on the cross, he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you go back and read the accounts, you look at it, one account says that he began to sweat blood, droplets of blood. He was under so much anxiety about what was getting ready to happen to him. Now, I often thought this, okay, that he was under a lot of anxiety because he was going to go to the cross. And we kind of call it the cross, the punishment of the cross, because Roman crucifixion was grueling. It was a really terrible way to die. But think about this. Jesus was sweating and praying all night and asking God, can you let somebody else do it? Now think about this. Hardened criminals had this happen to them multiple times a day. This was normal, normal for people to be crucified on the cross. So why was Jesus so worked up about a cross? Why was he sweating blood? I mean, was Jesus a wuss? Nobody would say that, right? No, he wasn't. Here's what it was. It was him understanding the full wrath of God is going to come upon him for us. The full wrath of God that he would experience on that cross. He just didn't experience 
pain on the cross. He wasn't crying out to God because he hurt because of the cross. He was crying out to God saying, why have you forsaken me? Because of the full wrath of God that he would take for us. And that's what Jesus came for. It was to take the wrath of God. Now, I can't stop there because if you have your notes handy, here's what I want you to know today is that Easter is the story of not just one cup, but it's going to be the story of two cups. The first cup that we have to identify is the cup of wrath that Jesus talks about. When he talks about that in John 18, shall I not drink the cup? When he talks about that to James and John's mother, about the cup and to the disciples, and the cup that he prays about in the garden. But you have to realize it, he came to deliver us from that. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who, watch this, delivers us from the wrath to come. To come, what is that? That's in Revelation. When you read and it's a cup of wrath that's poured out, that's what he means there. And then Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. See, God is perfect justice and God is also perfect love. So in the sin that we have, and we are the sinners we are, God has to pull the trigger at the firing squad because he cannot. You understand he's perfectly holy, perfectly just. And he gets ready to pull that trigger. And what Jesus does is, is when God pulls the trigger, he goes and stands in front of the same bullet that he, had, he actually had to pull. And Jesus stands there and takes that for us. He steps in there for us. He took the cup of wrath for us. Uh, the best modern version that I can probably give you um, is the Avengers. Now, if you've not watched the Avengers series, you had two years during a pandemic. We were locked down for months, right? Disney Plus came out. So if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. You should have watched it while you were in lockdown. But what, what was really unique was this guy named Thanos, if you're not familiar, and he was a, you know, an alien from somewhere else. And he had this desire to get the Infinity Stones, like all these stones here. He had the desire to get them. And what he wanted to do was pour out wrath upon all of the universe. And he knew if he could get them and snap his fingers, half of the living universe would just turn to dust, go away. And that was his mission. And sure enough, if you watch the movies, they're in this epic battle. They're all fighting. Man, Thor almost gets them. They're almost there. And all of a sudden, Thanos snaps his fingers. And in an instant, everybody's just turning. Spider-Man turns the dust, right? They all just are going away. And the Avengers come back too. They've lost family. They've lost friends. They're wondering what happened. They realize that, hey, this was what Thanos did. So they devise a plan to go back in the past, get the Infinity Stones, and they got one shot for humanity to do it. And if they can get it, and they can snap, one of them can snap their fingers, they reverse it all. So they go through the process, and they, they finally get there. They're in this epic battle with Thanos. And as they're battling and going through it, Thanos gets the glove. And Thanos snaps his fingers and nothing happens. And he snaps it again and nothing happens. And then Tony Stark calls for him over there. And Tony has the glove. Tony get, made a fake glove to fool him. And Tony made a choice at that point. He snapped his fingers. When he did the full brunt and wrath of the Infinity Stones, all of that, 
hit him at once that no human being could possibly survive. And Tony made a choice to trade places so that the other half of humanity and all the living people in all the universe could come back. He snaps his fingers and they all come back, but it cost him his life. That's what Jesus did for us, guys. He chose to give up his life so that we could have life. He chose to take the wrath of God so that if we choose so, we would never have to experience it. And this Resurrection Sunday, I want to be personal for you. I think so many times we come to church on Easter, we hear about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and it's just, it is a historical event, and it's, oh man, we're so excited. Maybe we have a little bit of meaningful time with the Lord. Like I got this morning, I had my own little personal sunrise service, and I had my own little thing going. But I want you to realize this, because here's my fear of what I'm teaching today. If we miss this, we will forget that it was our cup of wrath that sent Jesus to the cross. It wasn't wicked people and evil people. It wasn't Jeffrey Dahmer, Adolf Hitler's, and those guys. It was you and I. And that every time you see a cup, and hopefully when you gather together with your families and you're eating Easter lunch and Easter dinner and you pick up the cup to drink, you should pause and say, let's just thank the Lord that we will never taste the wrath of God. That's what Jesus tasted for us. It was my cup of wrath that sent Jesus to the cross. And it was your cup of wrath that sent Jesus to the cross. He willingly traded places with us and took the full brunt of God's wrath. And here's what I want you to know this Easter. He took wrath in our place so we could experience grace. He took the full wrath of God in our place. Why? Not just to, we could, but to give us grace. And I want to give you this illustration here. We have a couple of people coming to help me with this. And it's an illustration to show you exactly what happens here, if you don't mind. And Detrice here, you're going to be humanity. Say hi, humanity. All right. Brave, brave souls here. Brave souls. I'm going to pull a little towel on you. I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to get wet. All right. And here, T is going to be Jesus. He's got the beard, right? So like... Yeah, he's your Jesus there. All right. I'm going to put this on, on T. A little bit over here, buddy. And so here's what's going to happen here. Realize that this is what humanity should get the cup of wrath poured out. To treat the sin against God, the holy and just God has to show punishment. Has to. Can't overlook it. As he gets ready to pour it out, here's what happens. It never hits her. It only hits Jesus. The cup of wrath never touches her. But here's the beautiful part. Hold up. He not only dumped out the cup of wrath on Jesus, then she's given a cup of grace to receive. Easter's a story of two cups. The cup of wrath that we avoided and the cup of grace that now we have to receive all the good things that God has for us. Amen? Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much. Good job with that. And I want to speak to you for the next few minutes about the cup of grace that we've received. Because Jesus just didn't take the cup of wrath from us. But he's now given you, if you've accepted Christ and you're living for Jesus and you're following the Lord, the moment you accept him, you receive this cup of grace. As I've told you before, even in my own life, when I gave my life to Christ, I wasn't a public communicator Matter of fact, I stuttered all the time. I was scared to death. I avoided those classes. And God gave me a cup of grace with some gifts in there. 
I wasn't born with this ability to speak and share and lead. He gave me a cup of grace to receive. And see, God's not only taken the cup of wrath from you, but he's given you a cup of grace so you can receive all the good things of the Lord. And I want you to realize that that is what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that he traded places, took the cup of wrath, and then gave us a cup of grace. And I want to talk to you about three truths about the cup of grace that we've received. The first one is this. It wasn't earned and it wasn't deserved. You couldn't have earned or deserved it. You say, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. I don't think we really get it today. I think in our culture, we still think that it's goody, it's brownie points and being good and being a good person, goody two-shoes, that's what gets you to heaven. That we somehow think by our good works can get us. Grace, the word grace means free gift, charis in the, in the Greek, free gift. And you have to understand that there's only two religions in the world. Matter of fact, Jesus wanted, he wanted someone else to do it. He said, man, if, if Buddha can take this cup, if Buddha is willing to drink the cup of wrath, let him do it. But nowhere in any religious history or writings do you see that Buddha wanted to take the cup of wrath from mankind. Buddha just offers you to try to be good enough. He said, if, if Muhammad can do it, let him do it. We don't read in the Quran that he took it. Maybe Hinduism. No, couldn't do it. See, every other world religion promises you this, work hard enough and maybe you can get into heaven. Now, reincarnation. Man, if you just work hard enough, maybe you won't be a bug when you come back. Oh, even in, in Islam, well, if you, if you work hard enough, maybe the scales balance out. It's all human achievement. Study the world religions. I know you have your little coexist sticker, and it sounds really sweet. But if you study world religions, they can't coexist because they are totally antithetical to Christianity. Christianity is not human achievement. It's divine accomplishment, meaning Jesus did for us what we could never do. We could never work for it, and you cannot earn it. You simply have to receive the cup of grace and receive the fact that I'll, he took the cup of wrath. I now freely receive the cup of grace, and I cannot work. I cannot earn it. All I can do is be thankful for it, and that's what worship is. You're just thankful you received the cup of grace. I mean, think about this when it comes to gifts. We tell kids all the time, right, you know, like, like that Santa Claus is not going to bring you stuff if you're bad, but they always get good stuff, don't they? Santa Claus doesn't seem to bring any lumps of coal or sticks, no matter how bad they've been. Why is that? Because it's a free gift. They're loved. Think about your birthday. It doesn't matter how, what you've done that year. Now, if you've alienated your friends, it's not going to be a good birthday because you're not getting anything. But people bring you gifts. But could you imagine at Christmas and your birthday... If you were like trying to write checks or Venmo everybody for the, oh yeah, thank you so much for this gift. What's your Venmo? Like, no, 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 it's free. Oh, no, 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 I must pay you back for this. I must earn this. You'll be looked at as a jerk, right? You can't, you cannot work to get the gifts that God gives you. It's received. It cannot be earned. See, Billy Graham tells the story of when he was driving through a small rural town, and he was probably the greatest evangelist of our generation, or even besides the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest evangelist we know of. 
awesome man of God. He's driving through this rural town. He's driving 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. And so he, anyway, he, he gets pulled over by, by a police officer. He gets a ticket. He shows up to court. And the judge says, Mr. Graham, he says, Mr. Billy Graham, he says, are you the Billy Graham? He says, I'm, I'm Billy Graham. He says, well, surely you're not guilty of this, are you? Billy says, yes, I, I'm guilty. He says, Mr. Graham, I'm going to tell you something. He says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pay this fine for you. You're not going to have to pay it. And then later that evening, you know what happened? He took Billy Graham out for a steak dinner. That's what the gospel is. You stand in front of God knowing you can't. You have, there's a debt to be paid, and God says, because of Jesus, I got this. And not only do I have this, but I'm going to take you out for a steak dinner a little later and give you something good. That's what the cup of grace is. You can't earn it. You, you don't deserve it. And God in his goodness gives us more than we could ever ask for. Uh, the second truth is this. It makes you completely right with God. We just got out of a series in Romans, so we heard this a lot about just, justification. But you are as right with God today as you ever will be. You will never, like when you gave your life to Jesus on March 1st, 1999, I gave my life to Christ. I was as right with God then as I ever will be. There's not different levels of being right with God. I've shared this before about marriage. That's the greatest example, the greatest example of being saved. Because once you give your life to Jesus, you're made right with God. Think about marriage. When you say, I do, and you sign the documents, and the minister says, now, I, I now pronounce to you Mr. and Mrs., and all that stuff, right? Like, the moment that's said, you're as married as you ever will be. It's not like 10 years later, the, you know, the clerk of court sends you a, a certification saying, now you're really married because you've been married 10 or 25 years, right? Even those celebrating 50 years are just as married as those who just got married. Why? The same way with salvation. Now, you may know your spouse better after 10, 20, 30, you know, 40, 50 years. You may be more acquainted with them and know how to, you know, show more you know, appreciation for them, but you're never any more married. That's the same thing that is true with Christianity, which is not true of other world religions. You're never completely right with God. You're always just trying to get to another level. You can't do that in Christianity because the cup of grace is not earned or deserved, and it makes you completely right with God. And here's what else it, it does that no other religion does. The moment you accept Christ and you give your life to him, you're given a cup to receive because it empowers us to receive gifts from God. You receive the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead comes to dwell in us, to give us power over addiction, empower over the things that, that we have struggled with our whole life, come to give us life and life more abundantly. God just doesn't take away our sin, but He gives us a cup of grace to receive all of His favor and all of His goodness so we can experience the joy and the life that Christ has given us. There's a story of a pastor who was sharing a story at the end of one of his sermons. And he shared the story of a dad who took his teenage son and his son's friend out for a boating trip. The dad was a good Christian guy and loved the Lord, and his son loved the Lord. His son had given his life to Jesus earlier and been water baptized, was very involved in church. He was saved. But his friend wasn't. And they go on this boating trip, and when they go out there, a huge storm comes up. They were not expecting. The boat capsizes. 
The dad is frantically looking for the children, frantically. And finally, he spots both of them. One is way over here, and one's way over there. And he has to make a decision. Who will I save first? Now, our natural inclination is to think he's going to go for his son first. But he knew something. He knew his son was saved. He knew his son knew Jesus. He knew that he knew Jesus. He was scared they're all going to die. But he knew that the other child did not know Jesus. So his plan was, I'm going to swim as hard as I can to get this kid first. I'll try to get him over here, and then I'll, then I'll go get my son. He makes it to the, the son's friend. He gets him, and he looks over, and he cannot spot his son anywhere. And he swims, and he swims, and he looks, and his son drowns in the boating accident. And afterwards, uh, there's a few you know, young people come up to the pastor and say, that's a really nice story you share, but you know, that's, there's no way possible that's like real because people wouldn't do that. Like I think this probably a stretch of the truth a little bit. The pastor looks at the children and says, no, it's not. It was a real story. So how do you know it? He says, because I was the one the dad saved. And friends, that's what God did for us. You think that's a hard choice for That's what our heavenly father did. He let his son take the wrath that was meant for creation so we would never have to experience it. And that is what the message of the cross and the resurrection is all about. Man, I want to mess up your, your, your Easter uh, Sunday that when you pick up a cup, all you can think of is he took that cup for me. And then when you drink from the, the cups that you're drinking, I hope you're not drinking from one like this, right? Because this is like, this is like legit, y'all. This is like heavy. Like, if I hit you in the head, it would hurt you, right? Like, this is, this is the real deal here, right? Uh, I'm not judging if you do drink from cups like this at your house, but yours will probably look different. But as you are drinking from a cup this weekend, think about this. You have gifts inside of you. You have a calling and you have a purpose because of Christ. You have the cup of grace. Let's pray this morning. Father, we want to first of all say thank you that you redeemed us from the curse of the law. You took wrath for us through Jesus. The wrath that was meant for us, you took. Father, we ask that you would help us to make this personal this Easter, that we realize it was because of my wrath and everybody else's wrath in here. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he was under so much scrutiny and anxiety. So, Father, help us to be grateful and thankful and to appreciate the cup of grace that we have received from you through Christ. And maybe you're in here today as we're praying. Maybe you're watching online and you want to give your life to Christ. You want to let him take the cup of wrath from you and give the cup of grace for you. If that's you, maybe you walked away from your faith. or Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Today is the perfect day for that. And all you have to do is pray this prayer after me. So right where you're at, whether you're in here physically or you're watching online, pray this prayer. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I admit I need the Savior. Today I make Jesus my Lord. For I believe that he died on the cross. And he rose again on the third day. Today, I confess Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I repent from my old life. I turn from that life.
to receive new life. I receive full forgiveness of sins. I receive your Holy Spirit. And I receive the cup of grace that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week at both locations, people are making that decision, right? And so today, somebody made that decision, whether it's online, in here physically. They're probably wondering, what did they just do? I think it was the best decision they ever made. What do you guys think? Will you let them know? Amen. It's the best decision they've ever made.